When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. When do we take control of our lives and our destiny? We're a small country, but we punch way above our weight. Like, I'm filming now at this stage, to be honest with you. I thought it was one of the hardest things to do. It was horrendous. We're the one for cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Ah, yeah. You know, it's it's one of those mornings when you kind of put everything into perspective. So there's our leaders in the news, right? The people we charge with running the country and the people we charge with opposing policy to run the country. You know what I mean? The, the 158 people that we elect every few years to run the country. So here what's go- here's what's going on during their efforts to run the country. That is the reality now, Deputy. Uh, and I just want to make the thank point you. through the chair... Can, can I thank that, the Taoiseach for mansplaining the, the importance of a public policy budget issue, issue, to a mere woman like issue, myself? You're very I have good, said Michal, through the budget. So when they're at that nonsense, real people are ringing the opinion line. They are trying to get me out of the hotel and like maybe try to get me into a shelter and... But it's like that's where, like, my hope is now, like, you know, like, my hope is, like, trying to get in somewhere, like, Eagle House or something, you know? Like, and even just that whole thing, it's just, like, like that's where we could be for Christmas. Yeah. Well, we'll be hear her full story. That's Anne. We'll hear her full story later in the programme. But that's the contrast. Also, um, would you do this to your youngster? He has bills to pay. He has his rent, he has electricity for his room, and he also has his internet for his iPad. He pays those bills to me. He's seven. Seven! Would you do that? Later, plenty more to do besides uh, 1850-715-996. But definitely those two contrasting items. We'll bring them to you later. First of all, though, to the courts, and they're on at the moment, and some interesting cases going through them, including the case of 31-year-old Martin Ring, who was jailed yesterday at Cork Circuit Criminal Court. Maureen Tui, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Uh, yeah, so he, he was jailed yesterday. He's got four years um, in prison, PJ. So I suppose I'll put it in context of what happened. So it was just before midnight, around quarter to midnight on the 9th of June last. And people might remember this because, um, you know, he would have been arrested at the time. And it's quite a, a very serious incident and frightening for, for all involved. So it was June 9th last, just before midnight. And Martin Ring, he was armed with a knife and he approached a woman who was sitting in her car on 
Red Forge Road in Blackpool. Now, he demanded that she get out of the car. So she she left. She ran to a nearby pizza shop for protection. Now, what happened next, PJ, was, was Martin Ring. He was unable to start the car. And it was revealed in court yesterday that the car was, in fact, an electric vehicle. And people who have electric vehicles or, or vehicles that don't require a key in the ignition mm. would know this but Martin Ring wasn't aware that he didn't need to put the key in the ignition. He couldn't figure out how to start the car. So he then proceeded over to the pizza shop where, where the woman had gone to and as I say he was armed with a knife but he hit the window so hard with the knife that he had that the blade broke off the knife and Gardaí told the court that they'd found the blade you know I suppose as part of their evidence they, they'd located it yeah. so the CCTV identified him to be Martin Ring and he was arrested he made full admissions to what he'd done and um, his barrister John Devlin said in court yesterday that his client was very ashamed and very remorseful for what he'd done now he pleaded guilty to the attempted hijacking of a car and the production of a knife and that was on Red Forge Road Red Forge Road pardon me on uh, June 9th last though just uh, over over the summer of this year now uh, barrister John Devlin told the court his client's long-term relationship had broken up in the months before this incident and that he went overboard on substances. So he was a father, uh, he's a father of three. Um, now, the court was told that he was 31, but I believe that he'll be 31 in, in December. So he, he's nearing 31. Okay. Um, so Judge Sean O'Donovan was, was the judge yesterday. He said it's difficult to understand this case. You know, it's quite violent. He not only attempted to seize the car but when that failed he made a manic attack um, on the window with a knife now Judge Donovan was asked to excuse his behaviour you know because of his relationship problems the breakup there and letting his addiction get out of hand but Judge uh, Donovan said it's hard to relate that to the exhibition of violence and his out of control behaviour he followed up with it by trying to get at her through the window of the business and he said it's a very serious offence mm. he sentenced um, Martin Ring to six years in prison and he's suspending the last two years now um, Martin Ring appeared in court yesterday via video link from Cork Prison so he's been in custody since the 10th of June so it's been backdated uh, to the 10th of June mm -hmm. and we were told as well that he's been in a process some sort of a process of rehabilitation in prison to I suppose deal, deal with, his, with his addictions so yes yeah, so six years with the final two um, suspended for that really violent and, and frightening incident that happened on Red Forge Road in Blackpool and it was June 9th last. Okay and people will remember that. Maureen thank you very much no, 96 Mems reporter Maureen Tuig at Cork Circuit Criminal Court for that case uh, yesterday. We will look at that incredible contrast. Actually Eugene brings up another one. You're talking about contrasts. We're being asked to leave a light on for various causes. All good causes. It's a lovely idea but at the same time, we're being told there's an electricity crisis. Can we not find some other way? Or maybe just leave lights on for an hour or so? Or maybe Eugene just light a candle or something? But yeah, we, and I wonder how realistic all that stuff is about power cuts in the winter time. Because there are two massive electricity power stations offline at the moment. They're, they're both being repaired and they're due to come back online either later October or early November. And that, they're saying, will alleviate the problem. But the data centres are sucking pretty much everything out of our grid. So taking these two big power stations out of the grid 
is tightening the situation. Eamon Ryan is saying the situation could be very tight for the next five years. Others are saying, hang on a while now, with all your green ambitions, that's all lovely. All your green ambitions are great. But is it really worth power cuts in the wintertime? Because that could happen. If you have any thoughts on it, we'd like to hear from you at 1850-715-996. But I just thought the contrast between this was worth highlighting this morning, which means I'm going to do it again. This was in the doll yesterday. That is the reality now, Deputy. Uh, and I just want to make thank the point you. through the chair... Can I thank that, the Taoiseach for mansplaining the importance of the, of a in terms of the budget issue to a mere woman like issue, myself? You're very I have good, said Michal, through the budget. While they're fighting like two Scotsmen over a, over a fiver, real people are talking to me on the phone. They are trying to get me out of the hotel and like maybe trying to get me into a shelter. And, but it's like, that's where like my hope is now. Like, you know, like my hope is like trying to get in somewhere like eat in a house or something, you know. Like, and even just that whole thing, it's just like, like that's where we could be for Christmas. 1850-715-996, that's coming up later. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Cork's Gold Imro Award winning sports show. Right, right here, right then. The score on Cork's 96FM. Join me, Trevor Welch, Sundays from 2 for the best music mix and all the latest sport as you bring your reaction to Cove Rambers versus Gold United and Cork City's trip to Bray plus Liverpool versus Manchester City is the big game in the Premier League. Right here, right then. Join Trevor Welch for the score this Sunday from 2 p.m. with Firebird Heating Solutions. If you're building, think of the Firebird Air Source Heat Pump with underfloor heating and heat recovery. See firebird.ie. Right here, right now. On Cork's 96 FM. Just your thoughts as well as we go through the morning on that mum. She's on TikTok. She's from Florida. Say nothing about that. <laughs> she's from Florida, but she's put up a, a TikTok video that's caused a bit of a storm about parenting. He has bills to pay. He has his rent, he has electricity for his room, and he also has his internet for his iPad. He pays those bills to me. He's seven. Would you do that? Would anyone take rent or bills, money for bills, off their seven-year-old? It's worth thinking about. 1850-715-996. Graham Manning has been... On about this, and on about this, and on about it for years. At the same time every year. And still, it continues. Graham, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. Where does the seven-year-old get the money? (laughs) That's in the rest of the video, which I'll play (laughs) later on. Um, but, But you've been on about this for years. Let's take it down very, very simple terms. If you have a hundred children leaving mainstream primary you don't have to worry about the fact that there'll be a hundred secondary school places for them places of course not if a hundred children leave special units or special classes there is no guarantee that there'll be even 50 and you've been saying this for years and it continues it does um we've had this conversation i'd say at least the last three or four years Depressingly, I've got to, assuming you're kind enough to give me the airtime, which I very much appreciate, we'll probably be having this conversation next year. And especially when, through an awful lot of lobbying for, and an awful lot of work from quite a number of people, the Minister of Education could solve this tomorrow. 
Um, How could she do that? Which is coincidentally enough, tomorrow is when all schools um, in uh, enrolment process open up, the 1st of October. So anyone looking for a school place in secondary or primary, get onto the school tomorrow um, or onto the website to get the application form. How she could fix it is, well, their Schools Admissions Act uh, 2018 has a stipulation in it called Section 37A. Um, I can't quote legislation that easily normally. It's just I had a small hand in writing it and making sure it became a thing. Uh, it's the only bit I can quote. Um, it gives her the authority uh, to compel schools to set up special classes where there is a need and the schools refuse. Um, in the three years that it's existed, the first year, again, now in fairness, the first two years it, it was an authority for the minister. It was Joe McHugh, not Norma Foley. Um, the first year it was used in primary schools in South Dublin. Um, and to be very clear, not to second my questioning that those uh, classes were necessary in those schools. The second year, it was used in primary schools in South Dublin. Now, North Dublin and the rest of the country exists. And secondary, where the need, and again, not saying there's any lack of need, or the, there isn't a need of primary, there most certainly is, but the need is even more acute in secondary schools. And it has never been used outside South Dublin. It has never been used in secondary schools. Um, especially the previous party, Fianna Gael, fought tooth and nail to stop when uh, Bruton, or sorry, when both Bruton and McHugh were ministers for education, fought tooth and nail to stop this becoming a thing. I've sat in meetings where I was told it was illegal, which is odd enough because it's law now and it's not illegal. Um, and this, the just for the benefit the of listeners, Graham, this is a simple piece of legislation which says if, and we take no school here by name, but if a given school says, well, actually, no, we're not opening a special class, the Minister for Education can intervene and say, well, actually, there's a need, you have space, we'll fund it, it opens in September, end of story. Exactly. They, they have that power um, and they're not using it. They're not using it. Now, I don't know if uh, Minister Foley has used it this summer, but th- that's the thing. The previous two times, it was used at the end of June, both years, in primary schools. You, they were ta- told, right, in eight weeks, get this sorted. This sh- should have minimum a 12 to 18 months lead-in. So the minister should be using it today, or well, should have used it a few months ago, but look, today would very much do, or tomorrow. Contact all these schools. Say, you are all setting up a class. There are people in the Department of Education whose part of their job is to assess space. So one of the very few valid reasons that a school is literally we do not have room. Um, I am suspicious of claims of that because I've seen claims of that which just weren't true, but I'm not saying it's never the case. It is the case in certain times. So you send out these people to the department, they do a space assessment. So then if a school, and they, if they find that there is space, then the school can't turn around and say there's no space. The only reasons after that, they can say there's no demand, in which case I would very much like to know what's in the water there. Um, because, sorry, autism in those respective geographical boundaries, it's everywhere. Um, one in 54 has a, a recent stats. Not to say that just because someone is autistic that they need a place in a special class, that's not true. Um, and there is no... Nothing stopping them after that, other than they say, if you could say they have a preponderance of um, special classes already. So if one school had three, four, five special classes and the other schools in their local area had none, then they would have a valid argument to say, well, why aren't school X, Y, and Z setting it up? We already provide for a local community and they're not. Those are the only reasons that any school can say no. Mm-hmm. And those are not the reasons that are regularly being used. And in fairness, I'm not really putting this on the schools. This is on the minister. Mm. The minister has the authority, and through her department, she says she gets recommendations from the NCSE. It is on them to do this. These students have a right to an appropriate education. They are being denied that right. Tomorrow morning, and through most of tomorrow, because I'm going to be ringing all the, stu- uh, the students, uh, or the parents of all the students who have applied for ourselves for next year. We have dozens of applications. 
there's single digit figures. So in six weeks' time, when our enrollment window closes, and I'll have to explain tomorrow to these parents, and I've talked to all of them already, but I will be explaining it again tomorrow. Statistically speaking, the odds of them getting a place are small. Now they can go through our robo policy on the website and find out exactly what conditions and that kind of thing. So that may improve or disimprove someone's chances, uh, depending on kind of where they live and that kind of stuff. But for the vast majority of those parents, in six weeks' time, our school is going to be sending them letters saying they haven't been offered a place. And much as every job has difficult parts and all that, that is literally the only part of my, and I, may, this may come across in the amount of times I've come in talking to you about this kind of stuff. I love my job. It's great crack. I'm currently standing outside with a bunch of, or I was the last few minutes, a bunch of first years making a marquee tent. Um, this is the only part of my job that I genuinely hate because it's unnecessary. Mm-hmm. There is no need for this. I should have. Uh, I'd like to listeners, you, you're a teacher in the through. system, so you see this firsthand. Yeah, like I mean, when I ring, when I contact those parents, there will be parents who get back who get back onto me, and there'll be tears. No one should have to go through that. It should be a situation. Let's say, I mean, all. I won't say all schools. There are there are single teacher schools. There are yeah, two, there are very very small schools, but virtually all schools should have special classes. Mm-hmm. Everyone should go to their local school. If you don't go to the school right next to you, you go, you go to one school over, that kind of situation. Yeah. I've had students traveling 50 kilometers a day. And yeah. it's a pleasure to teach them. They're amazing. All that kind of, but they shouldn't have to do that. No. They shouldn't have to be broken away from the friendships that they've made in primary school, which, as a gen- now this is a generalization, but um, for autistic people, can be a lot more difficult to establish and to maintain. And then at the end of primary school, if you're not going to the same school and you're going to school, 50 kilometers or 25 kilometers away or whatever kind of journey, that's to a significant degree severs those friendships. And then in secondary school, you're making friends with people who also live much, much further away from you. So again, maintaining those friendships is incredibly difficult. I don't don't know about you, but much as I um, I wasn't the most diligent of students, but uh, the thing that I've held most from my my primary and secondary school education is the friends that I still have today. You're that I've had wrong. since I was six and seven years old. You're not wrong. Listen, I'll leave it there, Graham. Thank you very much. That's Graham Manny, a teacher of uh, students with uh, additional needs. And I've been banging on about this since Bat O'Keefe was Minister for Education, and that's not yesterday. Simple maths. For 100 kids coming out of mainstream primary, there will be 100 places in mainstream secondary. For 100 kids coming out of special primary or additional classes or whatever, there's not a hundred places. The place you get might be, as Graham says, 50 miles away. At one point, we were offered a place for James in Kinsale, which is only down the road, but there were three schools in the neighbourhood. 1850 715 996. Just on the candles, yeah, I, I said why not put a candle up for one of these light-up campaigns. Of course, all the campaigns do. Thanks, Virgil. All the campaigns do recommend you don't use a candle for fire safety reasons. You could use a battery-operated LED candle. Just stick a battery in the arse of it and leave it up in the window. But I know what they're saying. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Big, big, big show, 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 radio. 
Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Welcome along to the program. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Douglas Court Shopping Centre. They've got everything you need and more. Visit douglascourt.ie. Courts 96 FM. Really, really good news about the Indie Festival. Coming to that in just a moment. Two things to get out of the way first. There's a mass on Friday, 5th of November, to remember the Cork Dockers who have passed away. This is a traditional annual mass. Oh, it's the, the first time, actually. Some of them are traditional. They said it's the first one. Uh, I wasn't aware of that. So it's the first, and it's to remember the Cork Dockers on the 5th of November. Any further information? Uh, we can put you in touch with the organiser. So if you are related to a docker, if there was a docker in your family, if your granddad or your dad or anyone, your uncle was a docker, uh, and their history is just fascinating. Marion Moya did a brilliant, brilliant um, show about them a couple of years ago. But a mass will be held Friday the 5th of November. It's a bit away, but just stick it into your diary and we'll do more between this and that. Also, a quick reminder, much closer are much nearer to us. Premier League Live back this Saturday on 96fm.ie with Trevor Welsh powered by Talk Sport. Manchester United v Everton at 12.30. Wolves v Newcastle United at 3. And Brighton against Arsenal at half past 5. The Premier League Live online with now. Your sport on your terms. Stream only the games that matter to you most with now. And listen Saturday on the Quark's 96FM app or at 96FM.ie. So the good news broke yesterday and I think the official announcement has just been made this morning. Indy is coming back to where it all began, Mitchellstown, on the August bank holiday of 2022. Shane Dunn, great news. Good morning. Hey, PJ, how are you? Yeah, look, yeah, good news. Um... You know, lots of work to do. It's a big, it's a big event, big infrastructure, big, you know, big logistical setup. But uh, look, we're we're delighted. We were really disappointed, I suppose, as five lads who grew up in the town and you know still live here, um, to be in a situation kind of twelve months ago where you know we had no choice but to kind of move out of that site. But what's happened in the meantime is it's changed hands, and we've had a couple of really good meetings with the new owner. Um, he wants to work with us. We want to work with him. So you know, it's. It's good news, you know. We can go back to the to the same site um, mm. on the same weekend and hopefully have a you know really successful event. And look, we as an industry, I think we need to go back to work. But I think for the town of Mitchellstown, it'll be a hopefully a huge boost next summer again, having you know fourteen or fifteen thousand people into the town for the weekend. Remind us again, Shane, of the history of Indy. Um, the history, I suppose, is. I grew up, and we all, me and my mates, grew up with with the old Mitchellstown Music Festival. It used to be in the square in Mitchellstown, you know, going right through the 90s. Um, and that fell into a little bit of trouble in the early kind of 2003-2004 time. And a few of us got involved and we kind of changed it to indie. And we did the first one in 2006 in the square. We did three in the square that were kind of free events. And the third one in 2008, we, we got fairly large numbers on the Sunday. Um, I think somewhere around nine or 10,000 people. And swiftly called into the uh, the Garda station on the Tuesday to be told you, you can't do that again mm-hmm. so we moved into a we moved into a green field at O'Connell Park in 2009 and then into into uh, into the site on the Dublin Road in 2010 where we were for for a decade and it just got a little bit bigger you know I, I wouldn't say there was any grand plan you know at the start we just wanted to try and get the, the town festival back 
Um, and it just developed and, you know, 1,800 tickets in 2009 to 3,010 and 3,500 in and you know, by 2019, it was 15,000 people a day and, you know, sold out. So Brilliant. just developed over time, really. Real, real success story built up slowly. And you've had, I mean, the big names like Manic Street Preachers, Lewis Capaldi, Bastille, the Coronas, Hosier, Lyra, Basement Jacks. Like, you've been attracting the big names. So have you a schedule yet for next year is what I'm asking. We've we we have some acts booked, yeah. Um, Can you give me any names? Real promo- no, real promoter speak now. You know, um, yeah, we're we're working on our on our lineup. Um, we have some acts booked. We're look. I think the the lineup. We've always had a, a real strong going right back to the square. Um, a real strong ethos of trying to book up and coming Irish talent. Um, you know, we've had you know Hosier second ever festival, Codeline's first ever festival. You know, Corona's second festival. I think ever. Um, and we've just worked with them kind of right through as as they've come up along, um, and we'll we'll continue to do that. So I think we're we're looking at maybe a couple of big international headliners, probably one Irish headliner, and then a really strong Irish bill, um, you know, um, of of new and you know established talent. And so we've always done. I think it's always worked for us, um, and people expect you know to see in mm. the kind of push and support, you know, that up and coming Irish and they need it now. You know, again, you know, while. While the likes of me and our suppliers and everybody else has been, you know, sitting on their hands for the last kind of 18 months, mm. you know, so have the acts. And I think people need to understand that a, a tiny, tiny proportion of acts make money from publishing or, you know, record sales, that kind of stuff. The 99.99% of them need to gig um, and they haven't been able to. So I think, you know, the, really for 2022... For all festivals in Ireland, I think there should be a key focus on supporting, you know, Irish acts as much mm. as possible. It's been a dog rough year and a half for everybody, no, even punters, who, just punters who missed the music. It's been brilliant. It's, it's been awful. And 2022 could be a great year. Yeah, we did a, a series of really small gigs in Mitchellstown called Autumn Air a couple of weeks ago. So yeah. We did 20 gigs in five days across four venues, but there were... The biggest of them was a uh, was 200 um, in the car park of the Hunter's Rest, and you know the smallest of them was 100 people in the the beer garden of Umbaran. But what was so obvious, what really came across from it was like that people just missed they missed live music and not even music. Like we the the last show we did on the Sunday in the Hunters was Keep Barry. You know, so it was, you know, comedy slash magic slash mentalist type stuff. And people just like entertainment. It's human. Yeah, but it's human nature, I think, PG. You know, it's just go out with your friends, you know, and and be entertained. And, you know. Line's gone. We had just about got to our natural finishing point anyway. But thank you. That's Shane Dunn of Independence back July 29th to 31st, 2022. It is traditional ground of Mitchellstown. Big names booked already. Oh, we're gearing to have music. That's great. It's so good to have music and entertainment back. Thanks, Shane. 1850 Somebody was asking me recently, is the marquee going to be back in 2022? Well, Aiken Promotions said at the very start of the year that they would be rebooking uh, marquee for 2022. I think... They may be back in the traditional venue for one more shout before it becomes another housing estate or whatever it's going to be called. But yeah, there's a marquee planned for 2022, last time I looked. And of course, we've got Elton and we've got Ed Sheeran and there's talk of a Bruce Springsteen in Parky Cueve. So we've got, and we've got Irish Independent Park coming back in 2022 with a great lineup planned there. Ah, there's some year coming, lads. Some year. 1850 Nine nine six. Speaking of things coming back, we had an email 
from Anne, which is interesting. Could the return to work now just be for economic reasons? Surely at this stage, it's not the best idea. Most larger companies in the UK have postponed the return to the office till January. The statistics for COVID will only increase in winter. Surely by 22nd of October, the whole of Ireland won't be covered by herd immunity. With over 40 deaths reported last week, where and when do they occur? The CUH can't cope with this, says Anne, who is concerned. And that is a valid concern that's been raised with us on and off air by a lot of people. We're supposed to be going into back into the offices over this couple of weeks and heading in towards the new year. Now, I do know of one or two major companies that have said they're not bringing their staff back until at least the second week of January. But at the moment, like at the moment, we're coming back, our office staff and our sales staff are coming back downstairs one day a week, maybe two days a week. That's how it's going to be for the, for the foreseeable. But some people are supposed to be going all out and all back after the jazz weekend. And some workers just not comfortable with that. So, Anne, thanks for that. 1857-15996. Epson's Law. Kate reminds us of the Epson Act. Yeah, that came up on the programme a few weeks back. Kate, as well, needs to be signed into effect. It's been there since forever. I think I told you when it came, when it was written up and drawn up, was the early noughties. And it is the kind of legislation that, would make what Graham was talking about mandatory. It needs to be put into effect. Education for persons with special, special education needs act 2004 would solve a lot of the problems. It would, Kate, you're right. It's not been enacted. 2004, that's... That's... Hmm. How many? 2004? That's nearly 16, 17 years ago. 1857 Jim, I... Come back to us, Jim, where this actually happened and, and what kind of machine was involved. Um, was there a name on the machine? Jim says he was charged two ninety five to take €20 Euro out of an ATM. You wouldn't know it because it just reduces on your balance in your account. You just get the 20 quid, and you think no more about it. People should know about this. The reason I'm asking what machine it was, Jim, I know this has happened to me when I'm away. You're, you're supposed to get a notice on the screen that there could be a charge involved. Some places will charge you, some places won't. Some ATMs actually have a sign on them that say no commission charged. So where did that happen, Jim, and what machine was involved? You do have to be very careful, very careful with new machines because some of them are commercial and they make money for the installers. Thanks for that, Jim. There's a new business... Uh, in the Marina Commercial Park and it's a car valeting business. There are many of them. It's not a new thing to have a car valeting business. What is new is that all the guys working down there are all recovering from various forms of addiction. Uh, The business was set up by Timmy Long of the Two Norries podcast and he's employing, I think, half a dozen lads down there. One of them is Brian O'Sullivan. Brian, good morning to you. Morning, hey Jeff. How are you? I'm very good. That's very echoey. Can you get the phone up to your ear, or maybe if you're on speaker? I can't. That bit up here, Jeff. Little bit better. Little bit better. There's an echo on it, but we'll drive on. We'll drive on. We'll see what we can do. So, tell me the story about Revive Me Car Valeting and how you got involved. Um, 
Well, it, it was set up by Tim Long, as you just said, um, and it was set up with the basis of helping lads that are... Yeah. That line just dropped. We'll give him a, give him a, give, see if you can get him back there, Fiona. That uh, connection just dropped. We'll go through some more of the comments that I'm holding over because there are quite a few. <laughs> On possible power cuts in the wintertime, Paul says, PJ, the one thing about power cuts is it leads to a baby boom. Hashtag winter cuddles. Thanks, Paul. Eugene says, we're talking about contrasts. Yeah, those, yes, 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 those kinds. Um, just a couple more that I want. Yes, Owen was on. Um, this is an email that he sent to opinion at 96fm.ie. Again, on vaccines and stuff. Hi, PJ. Great listening every day. We've been to a few bars and restaurants and they've all required a scan of our vaccine passport. This isn't a problem, but most of the scans appear to be using a private phone. Is there any guarantee this is not being stored on their phones? GDPR, etc., etc. Eugene, that's a good technical question. I don't think there is an issue. I think the premises, and if any premises is would like to go through this with us, they'd be more than welcome. I think they have to dedicate one particular phone or one particular device to scanning the the, the vaccine passes because there's an app on the particular phone or device that scans it and checks whether it's a valid and correct one. I don't believe it stores anything. It just does a check. So if we say there's an app on my phone connected to the database, and I scan your uh, vaccine pass, it goes through my phone, the app checks it's valid, I get a note on my, or a tick or a green light, to say it's valid. I don't believe anything is stored. If there anyone... If anyone knows more about it than I do, and there's plenty of people know more about stuff than I do, then they can certainly let us know. But thanks for that, home. Right, Brian's back on a regular phone line. Brian, good morning. He's there now. Yeah, so Timmy set this up, and how did you get involved? Uh, I know Tim from the meeting in Penny Dinners, um, and he asked me to come on board with him to uh, help lads in a situation like myself to get back into a work routine. Right, right. What's your own story? Um, you know, I've, uh, I'm in addiction a lot of years, uh, PJ. Um, you know, it's tough, tough years now. Uh, you know, I've had a lot of um, trauma in my life in the past few years and instead of uh, dealing with what had gone on for me, I, I, I used drugs on it. Taking me away from it all. Yeah. yeah. What what kind of things were you using? Oh, everything, everything and anything, anything I get my hands on. That's, yeah. that's where I bought me to. Yeah. Yeah. And and how long are you are you clean now? Uh, Eighteen months. Well done. Eighteen months. Well done. And I guess the hard part when you get clean is getting getting back to work. Uh, it is. It's it's because I think. For people who are in addiction and so forth, and they're trying to get out of it, some people look down on people who are using and in, in addiction. You know, it, it, it's it's kind of a hard one because people don't want anything to do with that. They, they think there's a lack of trust there. You know, and it's not the case. Like we're 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 all good people as well. You know, we just took a wrong road and made bad choices. Yeah. And. <sighs> How much did it mean to you when when Timmy said, "Come on, let's do this"? 
Um, you know, I, I, I was in a good job at the time, and like I said, you no, know, I, I, I know Timmy, and I know what he was doing, and I know what he was aiming to, to do. So when he asked me to come on board, I was all for it because I'm about helping uh, to myself, you know, because um, I, I know what it bought me, and I know how hard it is. So, um, you know. So, so how long have you been down there at the Revive Me, Carl? Um, about two and a half months now. It's opened. Uh, myself and Timmy there, we've done our training there up in um, D&D detailing in uh, Blackpool. Uh. And uh, there were a big, there were a massive support to us down here. And, uh, you know, we did our training and we got the, Tim got the lads in and got it up and running and we're flying it now, thank God. Good. You're busy? Uh, yeah, very busy. Yeah. Very busy. How many lads are down there with you? There's four lads down here, and Tim then has two lads with him in construction. When you were in the midst of your dark days, did you did you ever see a way out? Did you ever see yourself back doing a doing a job of work like this? Uh, at the time, I couldn't see a way out. Um, if I'm honest, I you know I I I tried to take my life, DJ. Um, and I ended up in hospital in a coma over a suicide attempt. Yeah. And I think when I came back out of that, I seen you know, something walking up inside, and I took the decision to go to treatment. Yeah. Was that was that your kind of? They say that they, they said that, that an addict has the, to reach their lowest point, kind of. Thing. Yeah, that that was it. You know, and that's when the penny dropped for me. You know, I know I had to do something, and I just had to do it. It was. It was a life or death. Yeah. What What is that? I had Owen was on with me here, marking recovery month a couple of weeks ago, and I asked him the same question: Is what's it like that particular moment when when you realise I have to get out of this? It's either get out of this or die. No, it's a it's a hard one to explain. I think I think someone has to go. One has to go through it to realise it. You know. It's, yeah. Like a, a spiritual awakening, or call it what you like, but you know, it's just something, something sparks inside you to fight on or lie down and die. And I chose to fight on, you know, I have a lot to fight for now these days, uh, PJ. What have you to fight for? Well, you know, I, I don't like talking about my personal details, but look, I've, I've three kids and I don't see them at the moment. Okay, um, and That's, that'll come around hopefully, you know. And look, I'm it's a work in progress, so Good like, ho- hopefully, hopefully, things will. Good man. Come for good, you know. Hopefully they will. What does it mean to you to simply have a, a job to get up to every morning to, you know, get into the shower and have a shave and get dressed uh, and go to work? No, it's, you, you have a purpose, you know. I am, I, and, you know, I'm needed here on my job. As, as much as I'm needed, I, I, I love coming in here. I love the, the crack we have. And, you know, we have Tim's wife, Nicole, on board with us here as well. She's, she's, she's running the place. And, you know, we just love us coming in and meeting the people and, and satisfaction in of a lovely clean car going up the door. What more do you want? Yeah, yeah. A lot, of, a lot of lazy fellas as well who wouldn't wash and hoover their own car. Would you like oh, to hear it? Believe, <laughs> believe, believe. You know, you, you wouldn't believe what comes in. But look, that's you're the way talking to one of them here. I've, I, <laughs> actually, no, no. That's lots of people tweeting here. Michael says not only did the lads provide an outstanding service, but they really sound well done to Timmy and Nicole and everyone down at the at the the service and. We wish you and everybody else well uh, at Revive Me.
caravaneting and good luck to you in in the every I know that every day is still a new day for you now isn't it that's it is still one day at a time isn't it Brian it is one day at a time and that's all we have you know um, just get up and do our best today and that's all we can do and I'll go home clean the sober tonight and put my head in the pillow and, and do it all again tomorrow and there's the thing I asked you how yeah. much it meant to get up and have a job to go to how much does it mean to get into the bed put down the head clean and sober that's priceless you know not worrying about getting up in the morning and what you're going to do to to get your next fix or your next drink Mm. or whatever it is your drug of choices or your drink whatever and or to even remember going to bed uh, there you are yeah you said it all right, listen, Brian. Good luck to you and all the lads. Uh, I've a, <laughs> a little car that's a bit manky at the moment. I might be down to you one of these days. And good luck to everyone at Revive Me Car Valeting. Timmy Long of the uh, Two Norries podcast set it up. His wife himself uh, down there, and that's Brian, one of the staff. And if you can find a good business to support, not for me to advertise, but that's what I guess I'm doing. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Right, Councillor Frank Roach has contacted the show on WhatsApp. We drove our last slow drive. Uh, we thought we'd made great progress. Now, thankfully, we got the hedges cut and uh, we were promised one and a half million. And unfortunately, we're worried going into 2022 that there won't be more money released. So for that reason, uh, Cock County Council can't issue tenders to get, um, to get the road in progress. And we're here today because, we, as we know, the budget is two weeks' time and we're putting pressure on the minister and we're putting pressure on the government to release money to TII in order to release money for the N73. We have rang all the local hauliers. Uh, unfortunately, there's a problem at the moment with drivers and every one of the, and I mean every one of the haulers that we rang are having problems with the staff and unfortunately that might uh, hinder us a small bit. But look, that needs to be highlighted as well. And the main reason they're telling us is because the drivers are afraid to drive the roads and they're afraid of their lives and anybody get out in the morning to sit into a truck is actually putting their lives in, in, in risk at this stage. And like the all these trucks as we can see here today they're costing hundreds of thousands they're being wrecked with bushes and potholes, mirrors being broken springs, airbags uh, the trucks are absolutely being wrecked and what's really annoying most of them is down here in Kildowry Bridge which is only one mile down here from where we're speaking the RSA are regularly there doing, doing uh, roadside checks and these roadside checks the trucks are being wrecked two miles over the road on, on our right and the drivers and the owners being prosecuted that's part of the reason that the drivers and the owners can't get drivers to drive trucks so you're trying to go between uh, Mallow and Mitchellstown this morning and you're not getting anywhere. That's why it's a slow drive protest. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, so watch out for that protest if you're driving on the road from Mallow to Mitchellstown. Very, very popular road. 
but avoiding the motorway and then generally speaking it's a fairly easy crossing but not today there are truckers on a slow drive protest you heard about it there in the news between Mallow and Mitchellstown they're the state of the road and the damage they say it's doing to their trucks uh, you heard Councillor Frank Roach on the news and indeed was on the opinion line before that Bernard was on Jim's comment about the ATM charging him extra for a 20 euro withdrawal and my question is did it come up on screen that you could be charged extra because anytime that's ever happened to me when I was away in the UK or in Spain or wherever you would get a message on screen to say it, it could cost you more because there's a commission on that if it happened without commission or without a commission warning you'd be worried about it but uh, Jim where did it happen and what was the machine was it a private commercial machine or was it a machine from one of the banks Bernard was on then to say I'm with AIB I have a good few direct debits and if I'm short even a euro to pay a direct debit well the bank will pay it for me but they now charge 10 euro if you don't have enough money in your account. They call that a referral charge. So if you have a bill, say, for the gas, you might have a bill of, let's say, 90 euro for the gas, and there's 89 euro in your account, then the bank will pay it for you, but they'll charge you a tenner. So they'll charge you a tenner to give you a euro. That's called a referral charge. They're fairly hefty. What what could happen, Bernard, would be if you were waiting to get paid or if your wages were a bit late, you could call the bank and say, listen, there's a direct debit you to go out. My money will be in the... They might waive it for you. But yeah, a tenner now. A tenner. If you go a euro over a direct debit, some of the banks are now charging a tenner. 1850-715-996. Now, I did this at the top of the programme and I'm going to do it again. It's the contrasts of what's going on in our country. And the newspapers, political columns, more than anything else, are full today of, shall we say, a a very robust set of exchanges between the Taoiseach Michal Martin and leader of Sinn Féin, Mary Lou MacDonald, yesterday in the Dáil. Now, there were a couple of them. Uh, Here's the first one. This is about you exploiting the housing crisis for your ends. It's not about genuinely trying to help people who need housing. All you are about, Deputy, and have consistently been about, is exploiting the housing crisis for your electoral gain. The objective of this session is that questions are put to the Taoiseach and the Taoiseach attempts, to the best of his ability, however limited that might be, to answer the questions. We're not going to have a debate, Deputy, please. Um, I I don't believe that it it ought to be for the head of government um, to to go off on a diversion. You're bringing the House into disrepute. Here, look, I resume my seat. What brings this this house into disrepute is that kind of bladder. No, no, no. That's the start of it. This is where it went. That is the reality, no, Deputy. Uh, and I just want to make the thank point you. through the chair. Can I thank that, the Taoiseach for said, mansplaining the importance the, of a public the policy issue to a mere woman like myself? Issue, you're very good, Michal. Now, when they're arguing like an old married couple, I'm on the phone to Anne. So, Anne, look, the circumstances of how you came to be homeless, that's not what we're going to discuss here. What we're discussing is you've been homeless since 
February, even though you have the money, if you needed it, to get a place. So tell me some more. So yeah, so I've been homeless since February and I've been just trying to, you know, like get a hap accommodation and I've applied for loads of houses on DAF.ie, but unfortunately I've just gotten nowhere. I have my first month's rent and my deposit and everything, but I just haven't had any hope in finding a house for me and my daughter. Where are you living at the moment, without naming the actual place? You're in a hotel, I think, isn't it? Yeah, we're in a hotel. I have been moved around each once or twice. Like, I was in the, one hotel, and then I was in the care of, like, Coon Lee, and then I was put back into the APS, who put me back into the hotel. Right, right. And your little girl is three, and her health hasn't yeah. been great. No, it hasn't. She was admitted to hospital because she's undergoing abdominal investigations with her stomach. Like she, and it all stems down to the fact where I can't cook a homemade meal for my daughter. We're living out of takeaways all the time. It's just been so hard. And obviously I'm working as well, so I'm like juggling, trying to get my child to school, trying to get to work, getting home every evening to a hotel, you know, getting buses and stuff. And it's just been, it's just been so hard. And now it's, I mean, it's it, Christmas is coming and... It's just a fear of it all. Like, how long more is it going to go on for, you know? So you've obviously tried to get places. What happens when you try? So like I, I basically apply and I don't really see this. so many people who are applying. I think, like, they're in families who both parents are working and I just feel like that they stand out a lot better to me. So I feel like they're getting the houses and I'm not. You know, and I think it's just all down to look as well. Like there is a lot of people, and I know, who are in my position, but it's just, like this has been since February, and I've applied for so many places, and I'm just like nowhere. Very soul-destroying, I'd, I'd say. Yeah, it, it just really has. I mean, sometimes you just feel like there's just no hope at all, you know, and it's just, and even just the whole support aspect of it, like, I'm just so lonely because the fact that, like, obviously I'm not allowed to have, you can have a visitor and stuff, you know, and, like, it's just, even my daughter, like, it's just affecting her so much that I just feel like she deserves, you know, like, to have somewhere she can call her home. And, know. you know, like, I work so hard for her, and yet I can't put a roof over her head. Tell me what a hotel room is like. Like, to me, I go away for the weekend and I, I have a hotel room. But to be living in a hotel room since February, how hard is that? Oh, it's just, it's so hard. Like, we're, we literally just have the bed, you know, and just a bathroom and we don't have a fridge. Like, so even like, when I, when I first, like I can't even buy a, a bottle of milk and I wake up in the morning and it's just so lumpy and and it's even just so hard with my daughter because, you know, she gets so bored so easily and, you know, it, it's just, it's just, it's just four walls. It's just so hard. Yeah. So hard. And do you get breakfast in the hotel now? Yeah, no, we do get breakfast. Right. But even at that, you see, like, my, like when I go down for breakfast, it is kind of very hard because my daughter, she would get distracted. So it's actually, like, I do usually just do my breakfast in the room in the morning because it's just so hard to, you know, sit down sometimes and things just get, it's, it's fine, as I say, going down once or twice a week, but when it's every morning, it can be very hard. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, like, we're kind of like, in the mornings so we're getting up and I have to get her ready for school and then we're getting bosses down that I have to make it into work and like the whole situation is just so, so hard. I know, I know. It's only less than three months now to Christmas so you must be dreading that. Yeah, I really am. Like I just don't know and like I know like that 
there trying to get me out of the hotel and like maybe try to get me into a shelter and but it's like that's where like my hope is now like you know like my hope is like trying to get in somewhere like either house or something you know like and even just that whole thing it's just like, like that's where we could be for Christmas and that's if we're lucky you know and at least that way I might be able to cook my child dinners I might be able to you know look after her that could better you know and stuff and it's just oh and I guess she's not able to have any little friends either, is she? Because they can't come and no, see No, she's not. No, she's so isolated. Like, and, you know, it's just very hard. She doesn't see many people. and mm. It's lonely for you as well. Yeah, it is. Like, even, you know, like, I feel like my own life has just put so much on hold. Like, because of the situation that we're in, you know, it's just, it's just very hard. Yeah. And when she was getting sick... What were the doctors saying? They were just saying it was just all down to basically, like, like it was, it's just, I mean, like, if someone's just getting constipation, and other times then it was like where she just gets so upset, where she had to go on a drip in hospital because she wasn't eating proper foods and stuff. And they've did, done loads of investigations and they still are. And they just really do think that it's all down to her food that she's eating. She can't eat healthy. How can I cook healthy food when I'm in a hotel? You know what I mean? And even if you see the size of our room that we're in, it is just tiny. Like you, it's just like even you know, like for my daughter, even for to bring up toys and stuff. Like, like we have everything just chunked into one room. All our stuff, our clothes, everything. It's just so hard to even live in there, you know. And is she aware of the situation? And like, does she understand enough to ask mummy questions? She does. Like she, she understands everything. And she's always asking, like. When are we going to get our house, mommy? You know, like, when are we going to live in our home? You know, she, she hates the hotel. Like, she really does. Like, she, every day when I say, oh, you know, we're going back to hotel, she's always like, mom, can you please do this? Can you please ask? I know she hates going back there. And even in the evenings, like, she, every child just wants to, you know, chill out after, you know, their day of school. But it's like she'd rather just be out and walking around because it is just like hell inside there. I know. And you're probably worried as well. Like, she's only, what, three, going on four. Yeah. She's learning things now that no child should have to learn. Exactly, yeah. I know, and then when she is in school, you know, when she has all her friends, you know, like, who are going home and stuff afterwards, I just feel, like, so guilty and just bad for my child because this is, you know, like, the start of her life. You've nothing to be guilty for. This isn't your fault. I just feel like the last few months I have been trying so much and I just really feel like we're getting nowhere. Like this has been going on since February, you know, and I'm just, I believe like I just can't believe it's gone so long. Yeah. And is it the council put you in the hotel, it is? Yeah, it is, yeah. And what do they say about your chances of actually getting even a little one-bedroom apartment for yourself and your daughter? So, so yeah, like they do. They do say like I am entitled to a two-bedroom house, but unfortunately, like I'm on the county list, and there, like I see, like with the city list, there is more options. But in county list, like it's all like North Cork and West Cork and stuff that are coming up for me at the moment, and like I, I feel isolated enough as it is, you know. Like and I'm finding it so hard, even like with work and everything. I'm like, imagine if I'd up and leave and go all the way down there, you know. Yeah. Plus, your your work is here. Yeah, and then also like on the CBL, like a lot of um, three beds and stuff are on it. Like you never really see two or one beds 
very rarely. So I just see like every week it's, they're all three bedrooms. So obviously like, you know, bigger families are going to, you know, opt to that more than I would. So I just feel like it's just very, very, very limited houses out there. Like, and I know there is a housing crisis and everything, but it's just, I don't know, I just feel like, when is it going to happen for us? You know what I mean? The reason you contacted the opinion line, and is yeah. because you want to say, look, I have money, I work. Exactly. We'll be good tenants, yeah. I just need a place. That's it, yeah. I have great character references, I have work references, I have... I have the money right now to move into a house. It's just trying to find a landlord who's going to accept that. It's just been hers, you know. Because a lot of a lot of them won't touch it, isn't that right? Yeah, that's it. And I mean, like, like I'm a single mom, you know. Like, I can't afford. Like, I mean, a lot of houses nowadays are like one thousand six hundred, and I mean, like, how could I, you know, afford that myself and stuff? So, but what do you get on the hap? So I'm entitled myself to 1,080. And then obviously, like, if the house is more than that, like, I would have to pay it myself, which obviously, like, I am working and stuff, so I could contribute a bit. But obviously, like, you know, like, some houses are going for really, like, probably 1,600 and 700. Like, I wouldn't be able to afford that. But, like, I would, like, even a house for, like, 1,300, 400 would even be ideal, you know. Just anything, just to, just give my daughter a start in life, you know. Well, you know what I'll say to you? There's there's no guarantee that anybody listening will have anything. Yeah. But, but, but yeah. you you know, you've told your story and we let yeah. people hear it. And and all I can do is, is say that we wish you well, we wish you success, that something will happen soon. Thank you so much. Are you okay now? Have you someone to talk to that you can pick up a phone to or something? Yeah, I know I'll be fine, I'll be fine. Are you sure? Yeah. Uh, I know you're upset and, and we'll make contact with you again anyway, but look after yourself yeah. and look after your little girl. Okay. Thanks a million. Thank you. Bye. That's Anne, a uh, real person. It's not her real name, but she's a real, real person with a real little girl uh, living in a hotel room in the real world while our leaders have bitching matches across the floor of the door. I don't actually care what they were bitching about. But there they were, Taoiseach and leader of the opposition, having a bitching match across the floor of the Doyle. And all that girl wants is a place for herself and her child to call home. Contrasts, eh? Contrasts. 1850 715 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. It's my job to keep you company this afternoon. If you're in the car, at work, at home, I'll do my best with your favourite tunes. Plenty of throwback Thursday anthems and everything you need to know in Cork. See you from 12 on Cork's 96FM. Michael on Twitter says PJ that's heartbreaking but it's also maddening when there are over 240 empty houses in Cork City that are owned by the council. It's morally wrong someone is not doing their job now she's looking for a house on the county list Michael it's not just a city problem but if you combine city and county together the number of derelict properties and disused properties is is enormous so thank you Uh, 
Michael says, PJ and staff, thank you for highlighting the immature behaviour we often see in the doll, in particular when the real problems facing normal people are receiving far less attention. And I don't know who this is, but it's a great name. Formerly Mouse Cork. It's Twitter. We had that every week, printing booking.com tickets for homeless families. Their accommodation could change daily. And if there was no booking reference, there was no hotel. It was heartbreaking. Well, at least that seems not to be a problem with Anne in that she's got a hotel room now. It's relatively long term. And she gets breakfast there. Because you remember a couple of years ago on the Opinion Line, we started making noise about the fact that some people were in hotel accommodation and not entitled to breakfast. And people were in bed and breakfast accommodation and not entitled to breakfast. And I don't know whether we ever got a proper regulation made, but we at least got it raised at council level that when council is paying over taxpayers' money to accommodate people in your hotel or your bed and breakfast, that you shall provide them with breakfast. We pushed it. I don't know how far we ever got with it. I don't know if anyone is still experiencing the agonising story that one mother told me that she was passing a breakfast room one morning with her little girl uh, and she was taking her to school and on the way she had to stop in Centra to buy her something having walked past a breakfast room. Now, I think that that's gone. I hope that that's gone. And I know that Anne, at least, and her little girl are getting fed in the hotel, which is great. But they don't want to be there anymore. They want out. They want a home. They want a place to call their own. 1850-715-996. I spoke to Harry McCann about this a couple of years ago. And it's a huge crisis. And it's a crisis that I think those of us who don't have small kids involved in soccer and GAA and rugby and sport at the weekend might not think about. Four years ago, Harry quit refereeing, and I'll talk to him in just a sec, but the executive committee now of the Dublin and District School Boys and Girls League, which is about 200 clubs, have told members they'll be expelled if they're linked to attacks or aggressive behaviour on referees or coaches. A number of games have recently been called off for aggressive and thuggish behaviour involving players as young as nine. Nine. Harry, you quit a couple of years ago, and it's only after getting worse. Good morning. Morning, PJ. Yeah, it seems to be. Um, it's, it's kind of reached a level now where I think the leagues are, al- are almost desperate. Um, you know, putting up a Facebook post to, to plead with people not to be abusing or assaulting um Referees seems like a very drastic measure, in, in my opinion. And I think, you know, it kind of looks like the situation is now out of hand because, you know, you, you wouldn't be going through Facebook pleading with people to, to behave properly if they had it under control. And I think it's, it's a really desperate situation when you think about the fact that there's young children as young as nine or ten years old who are on pitches while referees are being abused by their parents and their coaches. You know, it's it's, it's a very sad state. Remind me what you went through and, and what was the straw that broke the camel's back? 
Yeah, so it was a few events over a, a really short period of time. So I'd been refereeing for a few years. Um, I tore my cruciate ligament in my knee when I was a teenager, and I decided I still wanted to be involved in the game. I just couldn't really play. So I, I'd got into the refereeing, and I was like, okay, it's a great opportunity to stay involved in the game. And over the couple of years, you got the odd bit of abuse and the odd person screaming on, or you had to ask the odd parent to leave. But over time, it began to get worse and worse and worse, and the threats became worse. So there were situations where I, I couldn't I couldn't leave the football grounds because I had parents waiting in car parks, managers waiting in car parks. Um, I was only a teenager myself at the time. Um, and then at one stage, I had a manager come on and actually swing at me. Um, and after the, the manager had swung at me, I had finished the game and, and I never went back to it again. Um, I just decided that I wasn't going to wait for the afternoon where one manager swung at me and actually hit me. Um, it didn't seem worth it for the for the sake of, of trying to referee a kids' football match. Now, you're talking about under-11s matches. Oh, yeah. The, the kids were 11 in that game now where that manager swung at me. So that'll put that into context. So you can imagine, like even even if I had made the worst decision ever seen by a referee in the game of football, the kids were 11. So the impact it would have had, I think, would have been very, very small. The games are rarely even competitive, but somebody felt the need to, that it was that much of a, a problem for them that they were going to swing at me. And how did the kids react when the coach did this or the manager did this? You see, what usually happens is the game has to end, you know. If somebody swings at you, the game ends and kids are in tears. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And everybody's going berserk. One side of the pitch is, you know, understanding in the sense that they don't believe that should happen. The other side are, you know, enraged because they think that you're in the wrong. Um, but the kids are usually quite upset by it all. You know, at the end of the day, the children come to play a game of football at the weekend and the, and the referee's there to facilitate that, that game of football. But you can't have parents and managers behaving in a way that's inappropriate. Um, and unfortunately, that it happens more than more than not nowadays is that some parent decides to come down to a, to a sideline and pretend that they're at a Premier League football match and they can scream on and say whatever they want. Um, and as I said, the, the kids are upset by it. And I do think it, 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 it kind of ruins the game for them in the long term. You know, it ruins the experience and the joy that they get from it. And I think it's why so many kids don't really pursue sports for longer. Yeah, we are looking at that of late more and more. Why some children walk away from sport, even talented little kids who, who might make sportsmen or sportswomen at senior level, they, they walk mm-hmm. away. And maybe this is one of the reasons why they do. Yeah, I think it is. I think I think we're getting far too uh, wound up about what really is at the core, just a game of football amongst, you know, 22 kids. It's, it's really nothing more, nothing less. You know, I know some people take it seriously and it's competitive and it should be competitive. But you shouldn't be in a situation where you're screaming abuse at the referee or threatening to meet them in a car park after the game or threatening this, that or, or whatever. It, it, it really is. It's a sad state. And I think what the biggest problem here is, and I think a lot of people ignore the fact that, you know, the FAI's inaction on this really says a lot about how they feel about the game and 
how they feel about the responsibility that they have because managers and parents are responsible for the well-being and safety of the children on the pitch. If they're screaming on abuse, referees and threatening violence and, and, and behaviour, they shouldn't be allowed to be involved in the, in the mm. game. They shouldn't be responsible for anybody's well-being or safety. Yeah. Um, and I think we're, we're hearing a lot about people getting match bans and fines and so on and so forth. But realistically, we need to see a situation where if you're going to be abusing a referee and you're, you're reported for doing so, you shouldn't be involved in the game ever again. Now, now the, the story about which we're talking, the recent one happened in Dublin, involving the Dublin Industry mm. Schoolboys and Girls League. Caller here is wondering, is the situation like that around the country, particularly in Cork? We know, the caller knows that Dublin is a bit of a bear pit, but is it bad up and down the country, do you know? Yeah, I think it's 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 a nationwide problem, um, and I'd even go as far as to say it's probably a, a problem associated with the game in itself. Um, a couple of years ago, when I had left refereeing, I garnered quite a bit of media attention. I actually spoke to a reporter from the BBC who said he had the same thing. Kids football over in the UK, they have the same problem where there's parents are screaming abuse and, and threatening behaviour towards referees. So it's a, it's a bigger problem, I think, in the game of football. Um, we don't handle it particularly well anywhere. You hear stories regularly enough about situations all around the country. So I think it's just the lack of action that we take. If you look at other games like rugby, for example, it's instilled in everybody involved that the referee is treated with the utmost respect. And you usually find a rugby game, there's no behaviours accepted at all. And it's usually dealt with quite quickly if anybody mm. says anything. So I think it's, it's something that's just instilled in the game, unfortunately. But if a manager did this during uh, a League of Ireland first or first division or Premier Division match, stormed onto the pitch and tried to take a swing at the referee. One would hope that they would never see the inside of a pitch again. One would hope. Yeah, but, but, you but would. When the kids are 9, 10 and 11, they seem to get away with it. Yeah, and you see, I have a bit of a problem with professional football now. When you, I watch an awful lot of football, I'm a big football supporter, and I watch Premier League football week in, week out, and, and watch League of Ireland be a bow supporter. And I have an issue with seeing professional footballers and how they react and, and treat referees, you know. It's the screaming and the clear, clear and obvious abuse that they do be screaming towards referees at times. It's the touching the referees as well on occasions and, and doing certain things that I think really sets a bad um, example for younger footballers because they see that, you know, they see that. It might be Bruno Fernandes one week screaming at a Premier League footballer, a Premier League referee, and they think that's acceptable. So I think at all levels of the game, it's not as bad. You obviously don't see anybody swinging the referee, but it's it's also, it's a, it's a role model thing. So I think at all levels of the game, there needs to be a certain amount of respect shown to the referee and there needs to be an incentive to do that. Um, but at the moment, it's kind of a free-for-all and it's going to end very, very badly. Um, it will end very badly. There's a couple of GA clubs near to me, Harry, and on the gate to the pitch in one of them, there is a, a poster that says that behaviour like that just simply will not be tolerated. Uh, but you can write up all those posters that you want, but if you don't take action, nothing ends up happening. So... What? Who needs to step in here? What needs to happen? Like, does a parent who goes over the top on a Saturday morning, abuses a referee, threatens to meet him or her in a car park, like that person, I'm sorry, that person should be barred for life from the club. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's everybody needs to take a look and take their responsibility for this. It's as simple as if you're a parent on the sideline, you see another parent saying something or doing something, you need to be very quick to call them up on it and, and to tell them that's not acceptable and they shouldn't be doing that. Um, it's the same for managers as well. You know, if your, ch- your child is playing for a manager who's screaming on abuse to referee, you need to be saying something about that because it's not okay. Um, clubs need to be taking action against those people as well the clubs at their own level need to be saying that you can't be involved you're going to behave like that and the leagues need to do the same and and the FEI as a whole I think needs to set an example here and really take action against these people um, bans are just aren't good enough anymore um, it's it's just not strong enough to, to handle the situation that we have which is week in week out people are abusing referees and I found my own experience that I was being abused by the same people over and over again. I was having problems with the same people over and over again, despite reporting, despite following the procedure. These people are still involved in the yeah. game because I was just gonna say that. Care. I mean, if if you were abused at a match, um, while you were refereeing the match, you would obviously have a course of complaint to the person's club. You've done that, I take it. Yeah. So if there's a situation where, for example, what, what happened in that game where the, the 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 manager had swung at me, I you you, you finish the game, you ban the game, and you write a report then to the league, and the league then send the report on to the FAI. Um, there is a procedure that's followed in a disciplinary process, but the disciplinary process is broken in a sense that you know you could still meet that manager a few weeks later. Um, you could still meet that manager a couple of months later um, at a kids football game he could be still on the sideline he could be still managing that team um, and, and that's the issue is that I often found that when there were situations with managers I'd come a couple of months later and that manager would be standing on the sideline again they'd be refereeing him and his team and then kind of going you know what's the point you know you write a big report you send it to the league they ask you a few questions about it and they apparently deal with it but but they don't and you know that's that's our issue here is that the disciplinary process is, is broken okay. and it isn't fixing our problem Alright listen Harry thank you very much Harry McCann from Digital Youth Council um, former soccer referee underage soccer referee wouldn't go back to it now for love nor money but it seems to happen not just in soccer I think it probably happens in GAA as well and rugby it's, it's discouraged in rugby very much discouraged in rugby uh, there is a respect, and I'm going to say this now, I'll probably get my head torn off my shoulders for saying it, but I don't care. There is a level of respect for the referee in rugby that is, that is drilled into the very smallest of children. I'm not too sure that exists in other sports. The great Nigel Owens, you'll find a video on YouTube of the great Nigel Owens in the middle of a rugby game. Two fellas start, shall we say, remonstrating with him about a decision he's made. And he turns around and he goes, Lads, this is not soccer. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's Entertainment. Laura O'Mahony's show, The People's Princess, comes to the Everyman stage from Thursday the 30th of September until Sunday 3rd of October. Tickets are now available from 
everymancork.com. Access all areas. Philadelphia, here I come is the modern classic by playwright Brian Friel and will be the first major dramatic presentation for live audiences in Cork since the easing of restrictions. It runs at Cork Opera House from Tuesday, October 5th to Saturday, October 16th with tickets on sale now from corkoperahouse.ie. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Lots of people commenting on the... Just the difference between the shenanigans in the Doyle and the reality of, of Anne. Jackie, you were listening to Anne. Good morning. I was, PJ. Good morning. Um, heartbroken for her, but... Like, there, She's in county council, you said, isn't it? Yes. Like, if she has HAP, they have a dedicated person or persons that will help her find a HAP house. You know, she needs to get on their case about that. But um, if that fails, I mean, she would be better off going into a place like Edel House for support because Mm. there's nothing more lonely, you know, being out there. I've been in Edel House, as you know. I spent 14 months in there and they helped me rebuild my life. But, like, what really ticks me off my pet peeve at the moment is what they're what the councils and the government are spending out on hotels and B and B's for people. Yeah. And what they're spending on HAP is crippling the country. Why not give out the empty houses? Yeah. Like I was saying to Fiona there, my own daughter's going to be in a similar situation next week. You know, because they've skills where they are. And they she has 87 houses she applied for, you know, through the HAP. And she got three viewings out of that. Yeah. And nothing. They just don't want to know when they hear HAP. And all the places boarded up around town. That's it. Between around town, she's living in the Mahan area. Her child is going to, my eldest granddaughter is going to school there. And there's 31 empty houses in Mahan. Crikey. You know? Now, that, that why not give someone the house instead of spending money on HAP, on hotels, B&Bs, because that's more than likely where she's going to end up is in a hotel oh, no. with her partner and children, like, and oh. she's got two young children and th- that, like that poor girl. It's, and it's a very lonely road trying to do it on your own. I've been there. Yeah. I really have been there. And I remember when they got me a place in Edel House, I was terrified. I was absolutely petrified going in there because of the stories I heard. But you know what? They are so supportive, mm-hmm. and they will help you. They get they help you get your life together. They will help you try and find a house. Yeah. They, you know, and, and you're saying that she needs she needs to find out who the the HAP officer is and and hound find them. Find out and hound them. Okay. About it's a thing called place finders. Now I know it's in city council. I am not a hundred, but I think it's in county council as well, because girls that I was kind of in a little house with, they got county houses. Okay. You know, and like also tie in with the Good Shepherd services, the homeless services there. She was involved with them at one point, all right. And you know who else she she could do no harm by contacting Katrina Toomey because if anyone knows how to get 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 yourself through the system, it's Katrina. Yeah. Yeah. And she would get her through the system, but like 
my heart goes out to that girl, but just tell her she's not alone. I mean, God love her. She felt so lonely. She's not alone, PJ. No, she's not, Jackie. Thank you very much for your call to the opinion line. I'm on WhatsApp, I feel sorry for that lady, PJ, speaking about Anne, but she's clearly stated she is being offered houses around the county. For the sake of her daughter, why not take a chance and move 30 miles away? There's too many in the city looking to be close to home comforts and won't accept quality accommodation around the county. Well, Anne and home comforts, I told you I wouldn't go into the circumstances of why she's homeless, so that argument ends there. But she's looking for someone somewhere in the county. She's on the county list, but the west and the north, well, they're very far away from her work and her child's school. And she's a single parent, so the logistics of it would be very, very difficult. And I would have been someone one time who would have thought the same thing. Well, why don't you just take the house 20, 30, 40 miles away? Then you write down what needs to be organised. It's not that simple, really. Some people can, some people can't. The trouble with the doll is they're unaccountable to anybody, says a caller. I'm sick of them. We shouldn't have to put up with that nonsense. And that poor woman... She's working and making a contribution, and yet she's living like this. It's heartbreaking. Lots more to do with Anne, and I'll come back to them in, in a wee while. But I want to talk to, to Neve Savage, because we, we've been highlighting our sports people and our sporting women in particular on the opinion line over the last few months. And the name Neve Savage is not one that would have come on my radar, but when I read what you've done in terms of weightlifting and powerlifting, I wonder why I haven't found out about you before. Neve. good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Thank you for having me on your show. And congratulations on all your success. The world record in Thank deadlift you. and powerlifting champions in Sweden and all this. How long have you been doing this? I've been doing it roughly about six years. Right. Yeah, I started my journey and actually only by chance I was in a physical therapist getting a treatment in Middleton and I could hear all the noise in the background and he said I said to him oh what's that noise and he said oh I have a powerlifting and a bodybuilding gym here I said oh I'd be really interested in powerlifting he said come in try it out you'll either like it or you won't and I was hooked hooked straight away because originally you were an athlete and I was indeed with yes. Leeville Athletic Club. Um, under I was coached by John Sheehan. Yeah. Uh, so I ran for Ireland three times, got a gold and a silver, thirty-seven All Ireland medals. Get away. I got. Yeah. <laughs> started when I was three years of age. Wow. Right. Yeah, my parents um, were um, passing a field and they saw all the activity inside and they said, oh, we'll bring Neil in. Mm. And there was tiny tots race on and I ended up winning. So from there on in, I ran in the Cork City Sports, won a few times, ran in Masney when I was seven under eight and I came first. That was the community um, games, wasn't it, Masney? Yeah. Community games, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I got a gold award or I got a Munster award, Cork, County Award, National Award. I was on the Leith squad for long jump. And, yeah. So how did yeah. you, I know there was a bit of football played as well for, for a few yes, years. Yes, but I had a. I had a. So how the change, how, what what attracted you when you heard that strange sound in the gym? What attracted you to, to deadlifting? It's a totally different sport. like Totally different. I suppose I lived in Australia for four and a half years. And I would have always been into fitness and 
I was going to classes doing body pump and I was saying to the instructor, could I like put more weight on the bar when I was doing the body pump classes? And she said, no, no, no. So I kind of always had it in my back of my mind. I always knew there was strength there. So then when the physical therapist I visited told me that he had a powerlifting gym here, I said, I'm going to try this. and the rest is history I mean it's just made me so happy it's just it's just an amazing sport I've got I've traveled I've been in France um, competing in the Europeans last year um, where I won um, gold for Ireland I came first in the deadlift came first in the squat um, and the year before that I went to Hungary um, I came second overall and I came first in deadlift and then I got picked and then, you know, with COVID and everything, all the gyms closed, coming back from France last year, I said, you know what now, I'm going to be independent, I'm going to buy my own equipment and that's yeah. what I did. Why? Cleared out a garage. Yeah. Cleared out a garage, got all the equipment and just trained by myself and I'd say in all, I suppose, since March last year, I probably would have missed maybe one session. I train four days a week, so, and I work full time as well. So, (laughs) and and Sweden, like the list of what you came out of Sweden with, like world records, first Irish woman. I know. Tell me what happened. Yes. Go on, list it off. First Irish woman. Yeah. So, my first event was the squat. Um, I lifted, so in each event, so you have your squat, you have three lifts. So you have to pick your opener, okay? It's not just to go in under the bar. You have to have, like, there's rules. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's fairly nerve-wracking being on the world stage, you know, and everybody looking at you. You've got loads of referees and you have to wait. You have to go under the bar. You have to wait and step back, you have to wait for all the commands because if you go before the commands, it's a fail, it's a fail and yeah. you'll be red lighted. Yeah. yeah. So they're really, really strict. They're watching everything. So with a squat, you have to go below parallel. If you don't, it's a red light. How did you do? So basically, in the squat, it came first. Okay. I got a personal best. I lift, I squatted 162 kgs. Um, yeah, and my body weight, I'm only, I only weighed in on the day at uh, 66.48, so I compete under the 69 category. Hang on, that's, that's, then, that's more than, ha- more than double your body weight you lifted. I did indeed. Wow. <laughs> and then, uh, next up then is the bench, okay, so again, the refs are very, very strict on that. You know, they watch everything. You have to have your head on the bench. You can't move your foot. You have to wait. Your feet, sorry. You have to wait for all the commands as well. Um, so I got all white lights, meaning all perfect lifts. And going back to the squat, I got all white lights as well, perfect lifts. So then the next um, next up then is deadlift. Um So I opened at 185 kg because I'd done that many times in the gym. And um, then for my second lift, it was a world record. 
a world master's record, mm. 200 kgs. Um, That's 31 so, and a half yeah. stone. Yeah, roughly. roughly. That's 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 like two large men. I know, <laughs> I know. And even when I started my journey, my dad, my parents, I mean, my parents are just unbelievable. My family, my sister, I've got like such a fabulous network of friends, you know, and I suppose that's what drives me on because, you know, you have to I suppose be motivated yourself, but then you need encouragement from families, family and friends, you know. Um, and I just trained by myself and just drove on. And my boyfriend as well, um, obviously used to help me, you know, in training and stuff like that. So he's been a great support as and, well. And, and all the time working full time for Biomarine. <laughs> Yeah, fabulous company. Oh my God. They're, and again, they are so supportive. Like, they're just amazing. They gave me the time off and all to go to this competition. And again, last year, Euros, there was no problem. And, you know, yeah. Neve, so I'm, great glad, support. I'm, I'm glad that we now know more, an awful lot more about you. And we could probably spend a few more minutes going through it. But for time reasons, I'll leave it there. Neve Savage, champion, Cork deadlifter, powerlifter, international champion at world and European level from Cork. Congratulations, Neve, and thanks. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Lots of reaction to Anne on the programme this morning, talking about her situation with herself and her daughter living in a hotel since last February. She has work. She has money, she can afford rent, she can afford a deposit, she just needs a place and she can't get a place. Good advice from Jackie on the phone to find out who is the HAP agent or the HAP officer and literally plague them, haunt them um, until they sort something out for her. We've also had a caller who offered Anne a room in her house uh, and they're also a relationship and life coach has offered a session to just help her with her resilience because it's a very traumatic time. All those offers of help we will definitely pass on to Anne. 1850 Lots of people messaging us as well about empty houses around the city and indeed around the county because they are in the county as well as in the city. Michael had a discussion with a city councillor a few months ago. Drove me nuts. They have 240 240 empty houses in the city. He said they didn't get enough funding for housing last year. It takes about 12 months to turn a house around. Why? The house is already there. If it was in the private sector, you'd lose your flipping job. We also have prisons full of people who are homeless. Agencies need to come together and come up with a strategy that will give people hope. My heart was breaking for that poor girl in a hotel room. And Michael, you're so right. It is still a question not answered. When a council house becomes available the turnover time 
can be months and months and months. It should be ready in weeks and weeks and weeks at the flipping latest. If, you, if I am a council tenant and I leave my house on Friday and I hand in my keys and the house is in good nick, there is no reason why it shouldn't be reallocated within a calendar month. And what happens is you get, oh, Peter, it's not as simple as that, you know. It bloody well is, if you want to do it. But thanks, Michael, for drawing our attention to that one yet again. 1850 I I played a clip of this earlier on, and I'd like your thoughts about it, because I think this woman is bonkers. Um, but she is kind of highlighting something about teaching your children the value of money. Uh, we don't know her actual name, but she goes by Crafted and Crazy on TikTok. Crafted and Crazy. She's from Florida. Not passing any judgment on that whatsoever. But she's got um, she's got a seven-year-old. He has a daily task list that he must complete on a daily basis. Should he complete everything on his task list, he gets a dollar per day. At the end of the month, he realizes that he has bills to pay. He pays those bills to me. He has his rent, he has electricity for his room, and he also has his internet for his iPad. He has two buckets. He has his fund money and his bill money. It is up to his responsibility to categorize his money and where he's going to put it into those buckets before the end of the month. I don't do anything with his money, but put it right back into his savings account. It has taught him the value of a dollar and responsibility. He's seven. Would you do that with your seven-year-old? So give your seven-year-old a task a day, sweep the kitchen or sweep up the leaves here in autumn, or put something in something simple and age appropriate, and for that you might give them two euro. They put, and then at the end of the month you say, okay, well now you pay your bills, love. You have to pay for the electricity from your room. You have to pay for the Wi-Fi for your iPad, and you teach them the value of money. It sounds bonkers, but she is teaching him the value of a dollar. But would you start with a seven-year-old? What would you think? 1850-715-996 or text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Where am I going? Ah, yes. Teresa, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you, PJ? Good. You're about to shave off your eyebrows. <laughs> I am, yes. Um, myself and Selena, who runs my social media page with uh, Blinks and Brows, my company. Yes. Um, we're both shaving off our eyebrows tomorrow live on Instagram at 8.30. Um, Why on earth so we're would doing you do it- that? <laughs> so it's to raise awareness of the Look Good, Feel Better um, charity. They run workshops for women when they're going through uh, cancer and post-cancer. They're makeup workshops and mm-hmm. they supply, it's all free, and they supply a fabulous makeup bag as well. Um, I'm one of the volunteers with Look Good, Feel Better as well. And it's amazing how you see the transformation in women who attend the workshops. Um, it's just a chance, a morning of getting away from talking about cancer and having a morning of fun with other women going through a similar situation and having doing their own makeup and creating a look that they're happy with. So it's really to raise funds um, for that charity because we really want to like help keep it going because it makes such a difference to women 
and their confidence and their sense of empowerment. Mm -hmm. And that's what I suppose me personally, I'm about as well with my own brand, my own company, Blinks and Brows. And I launched a a product um, called ID Brows back in October 2019. Um, my own sister went through cancer. I was just about to ask you, what motivates you yeah. to do this? Yeah, yeah. so it, it started many years ago when my own sister had cancer. And I really saw how hair loss can affect a woman and her confidence. It led me on to doing my own workshops in cancer centres. And I found, like a lot of women said to me when they lost their eyebrows, that they really felt it defined them as a cancer patient. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to find a solution for that. And that's why I came up with the ID Brow Kit um, so it's an eyebrow tool that I designed myself that creates eyebrows so easily for women. So the well, main... how does it work? What does it do? Is it is it is it a painted on eyebrow or what? So it's it's a complete eyebrow kit. So it has an eyebrow tool. Um, it's made with recycled material. So you hold it up to your eyebrow, and there's an eyebrow powder, dual color, waterproof, and smudge proof, and a brush for application. And you just literally hold up the eyebrow tool to your brow, and you brush against. The growth and with the growth, and you have your eyebrow in seconds. Mm. So, um, yeah, so it's it's very easy to use. Um, if you want to have a look on our Instagram page at Blinks and Brows, um, you can see it there. But the main reason, as I say, why we're shaving off the brows is to raise funds for the Look Good Feel Better charity. Also, as well from a personal aspect, I think for myself and Selena, it's to really feel what it's like to have no eyebrows. Um, and I suppose, you know, to kind of really feel that feeling because it, it is, you know, eyebrows shape your face, they open your eyes, they define your eyes, they give you an eye lift. So mm-hmm. it's just really to kind of raise awareness about that, you know, as well. And it's kind uh, of a very exposed part of the body too, as in if you have cancer and you're losing your hair, well, you can wear a hat or you can wear a wig or you can wear a cap or whatever to disguise yeah. it. But you can't yeah. really disguise Missing eyebrows. You, yeah, yeah, you can. Well, you can now because yeah. there's, there's lots of different products on the market for eyebrows. But, uh, you know, for, for my one particularly, it just makes it easier, um, particularly if somebody has lymph nodes removed under their arms, they can, you know, hold the eyebrow tool up just up to their chin. And it just literally, it's so easy to use. So I've collaborated with the Look Good Feel Better as well. And I donate 5% of my profits at the end of this year Excuse to the Look Good Feel Better. You know, so it's just, I suppose, we we marry well together because I'm beauty with heart and soul. And it's all about wanting to empower women, help women feel confident, create products that help women to feel confident Mm -hmm. uh, when they're going through such a challenging time in their lives. Um, And like also as well, on the night, we have a giveaway that was donated by a local pharmacy group in Dublin, um, a hamper worth 200 euros. So for anyone who donates to the GoFundMe page, they're in with a chance to win that hamper and three ID brow kits as well. But, you know, it's more. How's Rosario doing? How's your sister doing now? My sister is great, thank God. Yeah, I keep forgetting to tell people that, you know, and, and then people are afraid to ask me the question at the end, you know, but um, no, she's she's great now, thank God. And as I say, it was many years ago, but there was one time, all right, and I think that's this is where I get my passion from as well um, and my empathy is because for two years after her treatment, we were in the hair salon for the first time. She's getting her hair done and we were sitting across from each other and I could see her in the mirror. And when the hairdresser had finished her hair, she she lip synced to me, I'm back. And I just felt, my God, like it took two years to feel like herself again after being through, you know, cancer and that. And that's what I found from talking to other women that 
it just because your treatment finishes doesn't mean that you're automatically back to yourself. It takes time. Everyone is different, you know, and it can take some people years. It's, it's, it's a life changing experience, you know, um, and hair loss is a huge part of that. And hair, you know, your hair is your identity as well. A lot of women feel that way. Um, again, I'm not assuming this. I've, I've held focus groups in our house in, in Cork here and talked to women about hair loss and how it affected them psychologically and that. Um, so and particularly the eyebrows was was a big thing okay. as well, you know, for, okay. for women. So it's Tr- great to have this opportunity to raise awareness to the Look sure. Feel Better charity and, and their uh, workshops because it makes such a difference to women. Happy, happy, you know? happy to help you with that. The, Thank you. T- tomorrow Thank night you. at what time? Tomorrow night, 8.30pm on our Instagram page at Links and Browse okay. and myself and Selena, who I'm very grateful is going to do it with me, okay. uh, shave our eyebrows off. Um, and yeah, we're going to have okay. have some fun and laughs and uh, as I say, you know, raise awareness. Okay. And uh, somebody said to me today, even, you know, Trey's like you're shaving off your eyebrows, you know, it's a big deal. And I said, it's not really, I said, because... There are women out there today who are actually going into a weight clinic and getting their head shaved. And that's really traumatic for a lot of people. And, you know, so shaving off your eyebrows is is no big deal, to be honest, for me All right. or well, Selena. Well, good luck with it and good luck with everything connected to it. Blinks and brows and indeed uh, the, the charity, the look good, feel better. Thanks, Trace. Good speaking with you on the Opinion Line. 1857 Can we just talk? Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Cork's Gold Imro Award winning sports show. Right, right here. Score on Cork's 96FM. Join me, Trevor Welch, Sundays from 2 for the best music mix and all the latest sport as we bring your reaction to Cove Rambers versus Gold United and Cork City's trip to Bray plus Liverpool versus Manchester City is the big game in the Premier League. Right here, right there. Join Trevor Welch for The Score this Sunday from 2pm with Firebird Heating Solutions. If you're building, think of the Firebird Air Source Heat Pump with underfloor heating and heat recovery. See firebird.ie. On Cork's 96FM. We were talking earlier in the month to own about recovery and we were talking to Brian O'Sullivan earlier on this morning about his own recovery and working with that new business down in the Marina Park. And uh, Thomas Gould, Sinn Féin TD Thomas Gould, has been in touch to remind us. Today you're saying, uh, Thomas, is actual recovery day, the 30th of September. Good morning. Yes, good morning, PJ. Today is International Recovery Day. And on the back of that, we launched our recovery policy yesterday, an all-island recovery policy with eight key rights for people in recovery to help, I suppose, for help people on their journey because a lot of people, when they come out of uh, residential treatment or detox units, their recovery journey only starts then. Like, some people think that, like, once you become clean or once you get off drink or drugs or gambling, that you're off. And for anyone who knows about this, and I know you do, PJ, because you've interviewed enough of people over the years and you understand mm. the issue, that's only the start of their journey. And... What we did is we met with groups and individuals and we focused groups and we asked them, these were all people in recovery, what were the main things for them to help them? We had people who might have been 
two or three years in recovery, and we had other people who were 30 and 40 years in recovery to get to, to get a perspective. We had single people, we had people with families, and it was really it was really insightful to get, I suppose, what the main issues were for them. And the thing about a PJ, once people are in recovery, they become really productive members of society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what we're trying to do because the more people we can get out of addiction and into recovery and support them, mm. is is better, is is brilliant for them on a personal yeah. level. And the, a, the UK has a pretty good framework of, of eight central principles: things like access to treatment and effective services and interventions and harm reduction where necessary, and interventions that are conscious of the trauma people have been through. A person-centered approach. These are. It's it's a national framework in the UK. Is it something similar to what you have? Yes, and like you, the last one there you said there about um, one of the main issues here. Uh, we want people in recovery to be at the heart of the decision making. That you don't have people like like I, I'm not in recovery or and I didn't have an addiction, so I'm looking for them to tell me what they need mm-hmm. because far too long in this country people made decisions who aren't affected. So that's one of the main things. But actual fact, PJ, the number one issue that came up from people in recovery was housing. Because when they come out of care, a lot of them, you could have people who might be homeless, who might have had marriage breakup or relationship mm-hmm. breakups. They might be able to go on their back to their families because of the harm and the upset they caused. And then they're out. They're after going through their 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 their, their their journey and mm-hmm. the the treatment, and now they have nowhere to go. And, nowhere to and, go, what yeah. and what we're looking for then is that there would be a, a space available that with wraparound services that they could go into on an interim basis, and then over time transition them into their mm. own home. Should we already have one of those in the city, Thomas? In in the form of Chakwerda. But the problem, PJ, is it does not enough. It's full up. And what we've certainly seen is that people people have to stay there longer because they can't get houses on. Mm-hmm. To, they can't get houses to move out. And what that means then is other people can't get in. So the big issue here is the number of units that are available so that people can transition. And like what we're looking for is we need more of these units. And PJ, in the long run, this is the right way to go because it helps keep people from falling back into addiction. Sure, and, 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 and people like Michael Gearan have been saying that for years and years. You need to, you, it, it doesn't end the day you leave rehab. It, yes. it, it, may, it yes. may take a month, it may take six months, it may take forever to be 100% right. And, and PJ, that's, that's exactly right. We're talking to people now. Like a huge thing for people is uh, training, development, and education for people either to go to third level or go back to school to do the leaving cert, or maybe people might want to take up an apprenticeship. And what we find, and I suppose you're already, I didn't hear your contributors this morning because we were launching our budget policy, but Mick Nugent texted me to let me know you were discussing. Sure. Um, you, you people setting up businesses now, and you see what Timmy Long is doing and others. 
And what they're doing then is they're employing people in recovery, yeah. which is it is really brilliant. It's the ultimate. It's the ultimate empowerment to let give someone the dignity of getting getting back into a workplace every morning. And the, the, you know, the, the, because as the lads say, the problem is if you reveal to a prospective employer that you had a problem with addiction, and that's where there's a big hole in your CV, you you mightn't even yes. get a second look in, which is which is wrong, by the way. And PJ, that's one of the points we have is about giving people an opportunity okay. to be free from discrimination and also become value members of society because, like, we see it now, some people, uh, when they're in their journey for recovery, they get involved with community groups, uh, old age groups, uh, uh, sporting groups. Mm-hmm. They have time. They, they have a lot of time that they want to invest. And, like, when you look... There's a lot of harm caused when people are in the, in the throes of addiction, but an awful lot of them, and we see that with Penny Dinners and Katrina Toomey, and a lot of the, some of the volunteers we have who had been who are in recovery, and it's brilliant when you well, see they, I, they I make some of the best advocates. Re- re- recovered recovered addicts or recovering addicts make some of the best advocates for others uh, and the best service providers because they've been there and done that. Thomas, before I let you go, it would be very remiss of me. Not to ask you what you thought of something that happened yet. Were you in the doll yesterday? Yes, I was. Okay. Did you? I, I don't know. I don't know if you heard this. That is the reality, no, deputy. Uh, and I just want to make the thank point you. through the chair. Can I thank that, the Taoiseach for said, mansplaining the importance of the public In terms of the budget issue, to a mere woman like myself, you're very good. I have good said through the budget. Thomas, what does that do for anybody? Well, the CP is just really disappointing the way the Taoiseach spoke to uh, our leader, Mary Lou, yesterday. Like, she had to mean, she had raised an issue a few minutes earlier in relation to housing and affordable housing. I know she had, yeah. The housing crisis. And then that was under leader's questions. And then she got another opportunity on promised legislation to raise the whole issue sure. about these data centres and the possible... Uh, energy crisis that we're facing and lots well, of that's just a clip from a long exchange but what I'm saying is what yes, did that like, what was, did that kind of nonsense achieve but the point was she was trying to make valid points and the teacher then was trying to dismiss her as, a, as our leader and the question she, like, she's talking about housing she's talking about an energy crisis we might have, the lights might be turned off during the winter and the Taoiseach then is being condescending and he re- made a remark about uh, you should follow Deputy Kelly uh, he's doing it the right way like what has that got to do with data centres and all the energy honest, and that's the deputy, way he deputy, there, was, there was neither of them there was neither of them actually um, behaving properly in, in, in that particular exchange but I, I just wanted to see what you, what you thought of it thank you very much for being with us on the opinion that's uh, Fine, or Shin Fein TD for Cork North Central uh, Thomas Gould 1850 715 can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. It's my job to keep you company this afternoon if you're in the car, at work, at home. I'll do my best with your favourite tunes. Plenty of throwback Thursday anthems and everything you need to know in Cork. See you from 12 on Cork's 96FM. Branding to our mom on TikTok who has an unusual way <laughs> of teaching her youngster 
about the value of a dollar. He has bills to pay. He has his rent, he has electricity for his room, and he also has his internet for his iPad. He pays those bills to me. He's seven. Right. Connor says, Connors and y'all, I think it's a good idea. I'm 26. I didn't fully grasp how expensive everything was until I started living independently a few years ago. A lot of people get surprised when they move on from living on Easy Street in their parents' house and move out and have to face real-world expenses. Learning the true cost of things as a kid might better prepare people to get out into the correct financial mindset. Thanks, Connor. 1850-715996. You know those beautiful murals that popped up around the city last year? They were called the Ardu or Ardu Project. Uh, a number of fantastic murals popped up around the city. Well, there's more of them going to pop up over the next few days and weeks because a second set of them has been commissioned and Fritz is one of, or Frizz, rather, Frizz, huh? Fritz, Frizz is one of the artists. Hey, Frizz, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Good. And you, you are doing a mural on St. Finbar's Road of the goddess Cleana. I'll get to that in a minute, but but Ardu is a, a very exciting project, and we've got some fabulous murals from last year, so we're going to have more this year. Absolutely, yeah. I'm the first one to land in and get mine started. And you have three more to look forward to next week. You have Shane O'Malley, Connor Harrington and Asbestos. They'll all be in town and starting their pieces as well. Now, how did you come to be to be here doing this? Uh, the festival I do um, approached me. I've been doing this for quite a number of years now, so... I must have popped up on their radar somehow and uh, they approached me and asked if uh, I'd like to get involved and uh, I said, absolutely. <laughs> when do we start? So um, just delighted to finally get down to court. Brilliant. At the and moment, I'm just thinking, the there's a bit of wind on the line. I should explain to people, you're actually in a cherry picker. I am, yeah. I'm up actually. I just turned the machine off. I'm up high. I'm actually at the mural at the moment, just doing the finishing touches now. So I'm hoping to be done by lunchtime. Fantastic, fantastic. And uh, I put the tweet up. Tell me, who is the, who is the goddess Cleana and, and why is she a car connection? Um, so I have an interest in mythology and folklore. So when I was approached to do this, that's what I dove into uh, researching, you know, what ties that Cork has. And Cleana apparently is the patron of, uh, patron goddess of, um, Cork. So I started looking into her story a bit more. So on my piece, if uh, people come around to have a look, there's three birds on it. Apparently she had three birds that when they sang their beautiful songs, people would fall asleep and be healed of all their ills when they woke up. So they're included on my mural as well. Okay, she's three birds who went around with them everywhere. She sounds like the, uh, our, own, <laughs> our own little version of the Mother of Dragons from Game of Thrones. <laughs> or that or a Disney princess, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> so how long does, first of all, how big is it? And, and secondly, how, how long does it take to do? Well, we started, um, my husband Jerry was assisting me at the start of the week. Um, on Sunday morning, we got uh, the sketch up and should be finishing it today now. Um, so it's it's a three-story building. Shout out to Pat and Sandra, who are the residents that live here, who have been so kind and helpful to us as well. 
it's about seven meters, eight meters tall, I'd say. But yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a lovely size wall, and the location is fantastic because there's a plaza in front of it, so you can view it from quite far away and from different angles as well. Which and is what are you always using? Satisfying. I'm using spray paint. So the team here um, had the wall primed in advance for me um, with a base color. And yeah, so it's all spray paints on top of that then. Fantastic. Listen, get down out of that wind before you're blown off the cherry picker and complete that wonderful work. Thanks very much. That's Frizz. She she does have a real name and I have it written down somewhere. And of course, I've completely lost the bit of paper where it was written down. Originally from Sligo, based in Belfast and down in Cork, doing a, a mural of the goddess Cleaner at St. Finbar's Road as part of Ordu 2021. We got some brilliant stuff last year. The Hurler down there near Irish International Trading or near Breastcheck, more like. The, the Hurler and loads of other fabulous murals. So another new set of them coming. Shane O'Malley is also doing one. Connor Harrington and Asbestos. Well, there, if ever, there was an intriguing name. Asbestos is it. Yes, her name is Marion. Picture there of the house where the goddess Tlina is nearing completion. Fabulous looking mural. Brilliant. The whole side of the house. Massive. Nice one. 1850-715-996. Still a lot of stuff coming in about Anne. People offering to help her in any way that they can and we'll pass all offers of help uh, on, on to her. You know, I mean, And the reason that I brought up that confrontation in the doll again with uh, Deputy Gould. And, and by the way, I'm not blaming Mary Lou and I'm not blaming Hall. I'm blaming them both. They're like an old married couple having a fight down the aisle in Lidl over who's buying what flipping rashers. It was just ridiculous. The two of them, just like two children in a playground. They're both leaders of their parties. And that kind of crack across the floor of our doyle at the very same time that Anne was pouring her heart out to me. They are trying to get me out of the hotel and like maybe try to get me into a shelter. And, but it's like that's where like my hope is now. Like, you know, like my hope is like trying to get in somewhere like Eagle House or something, you know. Like, and even just that whole thing, it's just like, like that's where we could be for Christmas. And that kind of bitching across the floor of the house won't get Anne so much as a bit of carpet, let alone a house. There's at least three fights. It's another one, another good issue. I'd love to look into this a bit more. Uh, maybe, uh, particularly if you know anybody concerned or you know any houses concerned, there's at least three fine houses on my road whose owners are in nursing homes on the fair deal scheme. A brilliant scheme, by the way. The houses were always kept so well, but now they look tired and unloved. Surely it's time to overhaul that scheme to allow the occupants to to rent, to allow the owner to rent the house, which seems like a great idea. So you've got someone who goes into a nursing home because they can't mind themselves anymore, and under the fair deal scheme, the house is held against the cost of the nursing home. Great scheme. What would be wrong with that person being able to rent that house out? Maybe make some money. And maybe house a family. Particularly if it's a person who is going to be in the nursing home for a lengthy period or for the rest of their life, and you sign a lease with them. If they want to buy the house later, great. It just sounds like a, a super solution, and there are houses all over the country, unoccupied, because of 
they are part of a fair deal scheme. Dee says we did a brilliant comparison between the clowns and the doll and poor Anne, her sleepless nights in the hotel and working to try to help her child. Another call, house has been vacant uh, since February of last year. Everything done on it. Nothing done, actually. They have to send maintenance men even to sort out the garden. Oh, in other words, when it was when it became vacant, it was in Grand Nick. Everything was done to it. Now it's been idle so long, they can't even sort out the garden. Well, there you go. And it's happening all over the place. And we have loads and loads of calls on that very subject. Caller says, it's a disgrace the council don't let the houses out. Um, you said it was some old English law. No, I didn't. What I did say was a number of years ago, and the woman was from the north side of the city originally, and she was working in the UK, and as she rang in about another topic entirely, but she said, well, I'd previously been talking about housing. She said, by the way, she said, I've worked in the housing sector in the UK, in the public housing sector. And she said, if a house was left idle for more than eight weeks, if it was in good condition, so the minute the house became idle, there would be an inspection by an engineer. And the engineer would decide whether the house was safe to let out. And once that engineer passed the house, if it was vacant for any more than eight weeks, somebody would lose their job. That's how it's done over there. And maybe Kevin, who's listening, would, would, who spent so many years in Bristol, he might be able to shed light. Like, it can be done in weeks in the UK, but it lies idle for a year here. A year. It's not acceptable. It's not good enough. And you can't, don't even start blaming COVID. 1850 7159 Fanula saw that lovely work yesterday on St. Finbar's Road. It's fabulous. It brightens up the whole area. Thanks, Fanula. Now, Gillian Powell. Gillian Gillian was on with Fiona when I was off uh, in the June weekend talking about the books that she's bringing out, which are unique books about getting the children outdoors to help them with their education and their activity and just to have fun. Gillian, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Lovely to talk to you. Your books In are autumn. called Thrive. That's right. Autumn Outdoor Nature Activities for Children. And the basic message is there's a place for everyone in nature. You know, the science is behind it now, how important nature is for healing. And I think from what we've heard this morning on your show, lots of healing, but but nature helps there too. But also in this book, I've tried to make sure that people realize that you can learn loads outside as well you know there's a, there's a place to uh, educate children in nature as well i think during the pandemic when we had nothing else to do but go walk around the woods or walk around our local area we 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 may have reconvened a bit more with nature than previously didn't we i think we did and i think pj you can automatically remember a memory, I bet. Uh, when I this is one of the things that the books have actually thrown up. People are saying to me, "I remember a time with my parents when I was outside." I'm sure you have an autumn memory of something you did with your parents, and it's a lovely connection. And we need to do it more yeah. and more. Do we actually, know that I can remember. I tell you now, I can remember Fitzgerald's Park in autumn with all the leaves. Absolutely. Well, you know, I'm sure that nowadays parents today, this very day, are out there. Well, you can bring the leaves home and you can create a lovely picture or you can count 
or you can classify them, you know, according to size. I think we need to remember that there's loads of learning opportunities. I was taught this, a very good lesson, and particularly maths, by a maths teacher parent I had in my earlier setting. And he used to come in every day with a little fun thing he had done with his daughter on the way, for example. I think daddy nearly went over the speed limit. But those opportunities are out there for all of us parents, you know, of classifying leaves, playing with them. So you can take that to the next level, as well, of course, as having just the enjoyment of being there. So I put simple ideas in the book that aren't expensive. You don't need a lot of money, a little bit of glue, maybe a little bit of paper. There's loads of ideas to develop maths thinking in children, but there's also ideas to have fun. And if I had a message for everyone, I'd, I'd be saying, yeah, you had lovely memories of Fitzgerald's Park, but, but children don't need to go anywhere. They find nature everywhere. You know in your house now if there's a, a spider in the corner, the first person to find it is a child or a snail on the pavement. You know, they'll run and everyone will look. So children actually find nature everywhere and they kind of... Uh, um, Florence Williams, who wrote the book, The Nature Fix, says they microdose on moments of awe. And I think we all Hang need on, to stop microdose. That. Give me that, <laughs> noise, that line again. Microdose on little moments of awe every day. And I that's love that. I did too. I just, it captured my heart because I, you know, and that's what I've tried to do in this book. You know, obviously focus on the education but also focus on microdosing on moments of awe every day and like for example children coming in today why not take your cup of tea and bowl of soup just outside the door and make it a bit different for your kids it's a cold day but and I was a little nervous coming on here but I decided I'd go out and have a cup of tea and see what it felt like so I wrapped up in a warm coat and I sat outside with a cup of tea. And you know I'm the better for it. And mm. I think your children will be too. Well, because there's yeah. a place for all the, all the personalities. You know, it, it changes the energy in a house, I think. So I'd be encouraging people to do that. And then there's loads of ideas as well for creative things. And I think as well, I'm really trying to encourage a sustainable Halloween. That's my new, my new focus this year. You know, you don't have to buy a lot of things. You can get an old brown paper bag, stick some leaves. We'll let you have a little bit of glitter and make your own trick-or-treat bag. You can make little cat masks, bat masks with simple leaves and seeds. There's a whole, you know, a whole shop window of the world is out there. There is, but forgive, all- forgive my inner sceptic um, for coming up with this one, though. They'll throw them at you because they can see fancy glittery stuff in all the shops will they really appreciate something that they made themselves out of sticks and leaves I've never seen children happier than when they're playing with natural materials there's a children connect with nature and it's so important it's something we've we've reconvened as you say again over the pandemic yeah. but they connect with nature in a way that they connect with nothing else Mm-hmm. They definitely do. I, I, I've seen that. I've seen sensory bins in schools where children dive their hands into leaves, maybe lentils. Yeah. You know, they feel the inside of a pumpkin, 
uh, you know, we can all remember oh, yeah. the feeling of a smooth conquer, you know. Taking the mush thing. out of the pumpkin. I mean, my, my own kids when they were small, that was the favourite bit. We'd be hollowing yeah. out the pumpkin for Halloween and, and the, all they wanted was to get their hands into the mush. Exactly, exactly. And it's it's maybe throw a little tough tree there. That, that There's simple resource that are not expensive. You can get them for 29 euros on B&Q. It's an old builder's tree, in fact. And you can put all of that on it, you know, because I know people, people are working really hard and they don't want dirty, messy houses. But this is a way that you could pop everything on the tough tree, take it outside, nice. put a coat on, get the old... Uh, cheap little Aldi pull-ups. Uh, yeah. They're wrapped up nice and warm and let the mess just outside the back door and then pop it into the bin when you're yeah. finished. You you are talking to a man, admittedly, no longer a child, but who, who would happily hibernate for the next six months as I absolutely despise the weather for the next couple of months. But I guess children can learn a love of it that I've missed out on. Uh, and I don't, well, I won't, I don't think you've missed out on too much now, PJ. But I'd be recommending that you buy a really warm coat, nice woolly hat, get a blanket, and take your morning cup in out outside your back garden. Just try it in the morning; you'll feel better. You don't even have to jump into the sea. I'm not. That'll be good too. <laughs> but you can just take the old cup outside, All and right. you'll feel much better. Where can we get so, the book? You can get the book in local independent bookstores and also on the website buythebook.ie. Strive Autumn Nature Activities for Children and Families. And I hope everyone enjoys it. All right. Look after yourself, Gillian, and thanks for being with us on The Opinion Line. Gillian Powell, the author of Thrive. 1850-715-996, a bunch of things to do. We've got a number of offers of help for Anne, including... A letting agent has been in touch. Um, we, 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 we've got a possible offer of a house in Carrigaline that might be available after Christmas. We've got all sorts of, I'm not naming anybody names, but people have been ringing us up with all sorts of offers and we're going to pass everything on to, to Anne. Before I go, a couple of things that I held over from yesterday. I apologise, I just didn't get to them. These are on the airport Um a caller said, I haven't heard anybody mention in the context of the work going on at the moment at the airport, why didn't they extend the runway the way we need for transatlantic flights? I believe significant extra capacity for longer distance flights could have been added for around 10 million. I'd like councillors, travel industry reps and people like yourself to ask these questions. I'd also like a nuts and bolts answer to this from Cork Airport Management because this is the best opportunity we'll ever have to minimise disruption from an expansion and to minimise the cost. As well as that, there's significant earth shifting and rubble generated by the current work. Even if we can't do it now, should we not be putting it in the vicinity of where expansion works would happen? At the moment, it's just being shifted off-site completely. This is the rubble from the work. You'd wonder why that isn't part of it, actually, extending the runway for, for more transatlantic. It is a good question. And on Dublin Airport, Nice is waiting for a flight in Dublin Airport. The people were queuing outside the building. You could miss a flight over it. It was bad, but now that Cork has closed, it's much worse. And I see no mention of it in the media. Newspapers and the radio should be talking about this. If it's for no other reason, and so people know and won't miss their flights. So I think, to be fair, a lot of people, if you are going to Dublin Airport or Shannon Airport over the next couple of weeks, you need to get there good and early.
Right, the programme edited by Fiona Corker and produced and researched by Fergal Barry. See you tomorrow, just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. See MIG.ie.